Good morning. Last week we began a series of lessons on elders, and as I said then, I'll say again now that the time has come to appoint additional elders in this congregation. And so to that end, we're examining the teaching of Scripture concerning elders. Last week we dealt with the work of elders as seen especially in Acts chapter 20 and and 1 Peter chapter 5. And we found together by looking at the words that describe them and the things that they're charged with doing, that they're men who have experience and wisdom concerning this life and how to live it successfully in the light. They guard the sacred traditions of the apostles found in the New Testament and they teach the congregation to walk in those sacred paths. And they lead, protect, guide, and take care of the flock of God, which is among them. God has not left the church without direction concerning who is fit to carry out these important tasks. He has instead given specific descriptions of character. And this character is required in the men who watch over the church. As we study together, there are some things we need to understand. And first is that 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 are descriptions of character. They are descriptions of a type of man who will do well in guiding and protecting God's church and His teachings. And after studying about the work of elders in the church, I would hope that the necessity for qualified men to serve becomes much more apparent. Today we're looking at the quality of character found in elders The two main passages to consider are 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. And so uh, I would be turning to 1 Timothy chapter 3, as that's where we'll spend most of our time this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And as you're turning there, think about this. Both of these passages were written by Paul, one to Timothy and the other to Titus. Timothy was working in the city of Ephesus. Titus was working on the island of Crete. And that raises some interesting questions uh, on their own that we may talk about later. But the question uh, or the character described in both letters, Timothy and Titus, is the same. It can't be different because the character requirements God places on elders don't shift from place to place, or from time to time. And if those two guys got together, they would understand the exact same thing concerning the requirements on the character of those who would serve as elders. The elders from Ephesus would have the same character as those on the island of Crete. Those congregations would have been a mirror image of one another in doctrine. And so our desire today is to be a doctrinal mirror image So that if Timothy or Titus came to our congregation, while they might be surprised at electricity and all these sorts of things, they would not be surprised at who serves in our congregation as elders, overseers, shepherds. The character of the men who serve as elders in our congregation must mirror the description found in Timothy and Titus. To that end, we are examining today what Paul wrote so long ago by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let's read 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, 
It is a fine work he desires to do. If any man aspires, a sad thing has been done with this verse. This verse has become the the pet excuse of many men in the church who are afraid of serving where they're needed. When asked to serve, they have responded, some have responded that they don't desire the work. And they've left it at that and moved on and and never have served as an elder of the congregation, although they may be qualified in every other area. It's a fancy way of saying, I don't want to do it. I don't desire the work. But I wonder, have such men considered what they are saying they don't want to do? This is part of the reason that that I spent last week with you discussing the work of elders. is so that we could ask this question and answer it at least somewhat intelligently. What is it that men say they do not want to do when they say they don't desire the work of an elder? I want you to consider statements. I don't want to guard the church against false teaching. I don't want to help other Christians grow. I don't want to take care of the ones who are struggling spiritually. And I don't want to serve where God needs me. Those statements make me cringe. And I debated about reading them because they seem so awful. But in truth, a man who would say, I don't desire the work of an elder is saying exactly those statements in summary form. These statements are not just, not just troubling or difficult to hear. They're against what we stand for as Christians. No one claiming the name of Christ can stand for Him and then say, I don't want to help other Christians get to heaven. It simply can't be. And so, men, I would caution you against that statement. But really, and I want to think the best of everyone, and I think there is something else at play. I think, really, most would desire the work, but they're afraid they might fail in it. They're afraid they might make a mistake. Afraid that because because now they've been installed officially as an elder, that they are held to a standard of perfection that can't be attained. I think some are afraid because they don't like being looked up to, because they see where they are tempted, where they struggle to walk with God, and they want to hide because of it. I want to offer a couple thoughts to any men who may be struggling with those very things. That's this, that 
there's a difference between a perpetual habit and an out-of-character mistake. A perpetual habit is something that you have made part of your character, something that helps to define who you are as a person, something that has come to be expected of you. An out-of-character mistake is something that is just that. Someone would see you doing it and say, that's surprising to me. That's not what I've come to expect from him. That's out of character for him. He doesn't usually behave that way. An out of character mistake does not disqualify a man from becoming an elder. Of course, if it's corrected. A perpetual habit can and will. I hope that's clear. I, I can't elaborate too far on that. Otherwise it will become less clear than it is. But man, if you're, if you're struggling with that, I encourage you to talk to our current elders. Because they, being human, have dealt with those very things that I've just talked about. The out-of-character mistakes versus the perpetual habit. And they've thought... And spent many hours, I'm sure, on themselves thinking about their own character, whether they're living up to the standard they ought to. And so if you're struggling with that, talk to them. They have experience. And they have wisdom in that particular area of concern. So please discuss that with them if you need further guidance. It is unacceptable to say I don't desire the work. And we need to know that. Furthermore, it was never Paul's intention to offer a cop-out so that men could sidestep their responsibility to the church or to God. His point is that men who are not qualified but who look forward to the time when they are able to serve, that those are excellent goals that they've set for themselves, it's designed to encourage unqualified men to seek to become qualified. That's what this verse is about. It's not about giving an easy out or a loophole to keep you from serving as you ought. It's rather to encourage men who are not qualified, but who seek to be so. And he calls it a fine work that they desire. It's a good and admirable thing. But next, Paul gives a series of character qualities which must be present in a man who will serve as an elder. And so we will begin this morning, or we'll begin looking at those in verse 2 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. He says, An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach. And let's pause there and deal with just what we found there. First is above reproach. The quality of character that's to be in an elder. He says above reproach. It has to do with the moral conduct of the man. And this is where we have that 
perpetual habit that's sinful which would disqualify a man. Any perpetual habit which is sinful in the eyes of God keeps you from becoming qualified to serve as an elder. It has to do with the moral conduct of the man. He's someone that you trust to behave the way a Christian should. Someone who has proven that he does behave that way. And someone who, if you saw him making a mistake, that that would be quite out of character for him. It would surprise you. It's not what you've come to expect from him. Above reproach. Not perfection, but that he displays that he's living up to the standard God has for Christians. That he is living that way. And any mistake is just that. Out of character. Next is the husband of one wife. Now, the husband of one wife has been looked at in a lot of different ways through the years. But let me, let me just offer you this. That a man practicing polygamy is not qualified to serve as an elder. That should be straightforward. That's, uh, I think, fairly understood by our culture. But in case it's not, there you have it. But... This phrase means more than the literal understanding of it. And we need, to, we need to think about the character of the man here. Because that's what this has to do with. It means a man who is faithful to his wife. A man who's not a flirt. Not a womanizer. And here are some things that it doesn't mean. It does not mean that he must be married to one woman for his entire life. A man whose wife has passed away, who marries another according to the word of the Lord, is able to be the husband of one wife. He is able to meet this quality of character of faithfulness to his wife. In the same token, a man who divorces his wife because she's committed adultery, who takes another wife according to the word of the Lord, is able to be the husband of one wife. A faithful man, if he continues to display that sort of faithful character. Not flirtatious, not running around with other women who are not his wife, but rather remaining with the one. This character quality in the man, the question I would ask as you look at men in our congregation is, is he faithful to his wife? That's what I want to know. Is he faithful to his wife? Or do I see him running about looking for the company of other women? Third is temperate. Temperate. That's someone who's self-controlled, level-headed. A man who is controlled by his emotions he is not qualified to serve as an elder. He needs to approach every situation reasonably and with Scripture in mind. When unexpected things occur, he is not a man who blows up in anger or becomes frustrated with the task. He's a man who looks at it, understands what has happened, and moves through it level-headed. Calmly. That's the man who is qualified as temperate. 
<clears throat> Next is prudent. Prudent. Again, that has to do with self-control. It's about being in control of himself. It's somewhat synonymous with temperate. And I think that's probably why it comes up right after it. He's in control of himself. Next is respectable. Respectable. That's someone you look up to in the faith. Someone who because of your relationship with them, you look to them for guidance already. I think that might help us select some men without really thinking too hard. Who do you look up to in the faith? Who do you go to? Who do you trust to give you good sound advice that is scripturally accurate? Those sorts of men are respectable. They're honorable. Someone who's generally a good example to other Christians, that's respectable. Hospitable comes next. When we think of hospitality, we think of someone who cares about people, who welcomes them into his home. And that's right. And that attitude should extend not just to Christians and friends, but to strangers as well. He should welcome all, whether he knows them or not, for the sake of the work of Christ. That should be his goal. There should be a spiritual attitude that he approaches every person he meets with. And that is to convert them to Christ. And so he's welcoming to them. He'll take care of their needs. He's hospitable. The next quality of character is able to teach. Able to teach. There's only a very few times where I will tell you what a commentary says explicitly, but I think this is worth reading to you. In his commentary on on 1 Timothy, Brother Denny Petrillo wrote this about able to teach. He says, this word is a key concept in 1 Timothy. This particular word does not refer to a willingness to teach, but the ability. This elder is able to teach. It means fit, suited, inclined, ready, or prepared. Any elder who is not a capable teacher is not qualified to shepherd the congregation. Error has a way of creeping into the church and then soon is controlling the church. Elders need to be able to stop this error before it has the opportunity to influence the church. And they do this through bold and powerful teaching of the truth. An elder must be able to teach. He must be capable concerning the Word of God. He must understand it and be able to teach it to others so that they can understand it. So that sin can be corrected. So that false teaching can be corrected. So that encouragement can be given when it's needed. He must be able to teach. Let's read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3. <clears throat> verse 3, continuing on, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. Starting with not addicted to wine, 
some have really struggled to define what this means, but let me tell you how it's going to affect him, and you'll see what it means by that. At any point of time in the day or night, an elder may receive a phone call about a dire spiritual situation which requires all of his mental faculties and his full attention. And he must never be addled with alcohol. What a disappointment that would be to call on an elder in the middle of the night only to find him waking up answering his phone in slurred speech with a dull mind unable to help you when you had your time of need. Not addicted to wine. Never addled by alcohol. Never fuzzied by its effects. And gentlemen, that doesn't, doesn't mean that you say, well, I can drink so many and not be affected by it. Stay away from it. Because it affects you when you don't realize it. And you will harm the church. Not addicted to wine. Next comes a, a word that we never use. Not pugnacious. And I, I, on the slide behind me it should say not a brawler. Which is the, that's the translation of the word. Not a brawler. Not a violent man. His first answer to conflict must not be to beat someone into a pulp. He's not a brawler. Some men are brawlers. Some men live life that way their whole life. God doesn't say, or God says that a man who lives life that way is not fit to lead his people, not fit to guide them, not fit to correct them when correction is necessary because that correction may come simply on pieces of Scripture tied to a fist. Physical battery should not be the first answer, shouldn't be an answer at all. He is not a brawler. But instead, he gives some other qualities. He is gentle. That is, he's courteous. He doesn't insist on his rights. But instead, he wants to be a spiritual aid. It makes me think of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that he had become a slave to all men, that he may by all means win some. He wasn't demanding his rights as an apostle. He wasn't demanding that he be treated as any better than any other man. But instead, he wanted to be a spiritual help. That's gentleness, not insisting on your rights. Peaceable is next. Again, it has to do with not being a physical combatant. Not being someone who goes to the physically... Uh, abusive answer to solve a problem. Good shepherds don't lead and guide by beating the sheep into submission. That's going to harm the flock, not help it. So a man who decides the victor with physical might is not peaceable, and he does not yet have the quality of character required of an elder peaceable. Next is free from the love of money. Free from the love of money. Getting more and more money must not be their primary goal. Someone who is greedy will make poor decisions as an elder. 
You realize an elder's desire, his priority must be the spiritual well-being of the flock and never his own pocketbook. That should be secondary to the well-being of the church. But just because, and I want to give you a caution here, that just because a person is rich doesn't mean they're consumed by the love of money. And so don't just look and see what their yearly income is and say, aha, they must be greedy, and because of that he's not qualified. Don't do that. I would instead consider whether he follows the instruction of 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. There, Paul very specifically tells Timothy to instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. The question you ask is not what numbers are in their bank account, but rather what do they do with them? Do they care about those who are in need? Or do they only care where they get more money? That's the question you need to ask. Do they care about other people? Are they following the teaching of 1 Timothy 6, 17-19? We're going to pause there this week. We have more character qualities to consider. We'll finish that discussion next week as we study together. But this week, like I said, we're going to pause so that we don't overwhelm ourselves with words. Uh, these lessons can seem a bit dry. But they are important. Remember that we are looking at who will guide the Lord's church, who will guide this congregation in the right paths. And these qualities of character are the things that you need to look for in men that you will suggest. Think about the character Paul is describing Look among our number for men who meet these qualities. And men, I want you to consider your own character. And if your character falls short, set these as goals for yourself. Be the man in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 who aspires to the office of overseer to do that work, but who hasn't quite reached the point where he's able yet. But boy, does he long for the time when he can. Be that man if you're not qualified. And if you are qualified, don't leave that desire behind. Don't let the devil grip you with fear because you, you are afraid that you may stumble as you guide the church. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the time you've given us today. Thank you for offering us clarity about who is to guide our, your congregation of the church. We pray that we honor you as the owner of it. 
and that we will all seek to meet these character qualities so that we may serve when, we, when our time comes. We pray for those men especially who are qualified, but who have something standing in their way. We pray that you will bless them with a, a mind that is clear, that they will be able to look at whatever they are afraid of and see that the true greater good is, is for your kingdom. That by serving as, as the spiritual guide for, for this church, that they will honor you, that they will honor your son, that they will honor his mission to save us, and that they will be continuing in the footsteps of many men who have gone before them. We pray that all those who are not, not yet qualified, that we will encourage those who are, that we will speak with them and, and try to help them to gain the courage to step forward and serve as they ought. And we pray that for the men that we will look forward to our time when we can serve. Please bless this congregation with continued prosperity and, and continued faithfulness to you. And that the membership will be so strong that if indeed an elder does walk astray, that we will be able to help correct them. And please be with our elders, that they will watch out for each other, that they will watch out for us, that we will all work together as you've designed so that we can go to heaven together. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning as we come to the end of our time, we're going to offer, we're going to invite anyone who has a spiritual need to make that known. If you're here and you have studied the Scriptures and come to the understanding of the Gospel, you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that you're willing to repent of your sins, and put Him on in baptism, then we will hear your confession and we will baptize you in the water behind us so that you can be raised by His power to a new life, clean and free from sin. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian but you're struggling and you want help from us and you want prayers from us and strength from us, we're here to give it to you. And please don't leave without it. If you have a spiritual need this morning of any kind, please make it known by coming forward as we stand and sing.